Welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast, the nature-based show hosted by me, Jack Perks. Each week I'm joined by a guest from the world of wildlife television, art and science. We take a light-hearted look into what makes these people tick and connect with the natural world so strongly, with new episodes out every Tuesday. Today I've got an old friend on, Jackie Poon. We went to college and university together and it's been great watching his career grow from strength to strength. Some might say sickeningly well. He lived in Nottingham for a few years before moving back to China to the Yunnan province. He's a camera operator, director and drone pilot, having worked on many blue chip BBC series such as Seven Worlds and One Planet. He's also worked on Disney Nature, National Geographic, you name it, he's worked on it. We talk about the emerging wildlife film industry in China, what it's like working on these major series, and how he dressed up as a panda to film them, and to be blunt, if pandas are fucked. Here's our chat. How are you doing, Jackie Poon, Mr. Poon, Poon Star? <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. How are you, Jack Perks? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good, mate. God, it's been so long it's since we've had a, a good chat. I know. Oh. I know, indeed, indeed. How's it all going? Yeah, not too bad. It's really snowy, actually, today. It's, it's pissed it down with snow. Yeah, that is weird. That is weird. I, I, was, I was watching it on the news. It's like, UK is snowing. I was like, oh, you know, it's one of those, like, people's like, oh, it's snowing, and a few flakes just fall up, fall down from the sky. And then my mum sent me a picture, and I was like, oh, yeah. my gosh, like, properly covered in snow, huh? Yeah, because your, your mum's still in West Bridgeford. She's still over this, over here, mm-hmm. isn't she? Yeah, yeah, so she, she'll, yeah. she'll get loads of... Uh, of snow because because you're so you're Yunnan province aren't you in China yes. so how how far north are you would you are you fairly I'm trying to kind of get no, about it on a map. No. You're, you're further uh, down are you yes uh we we're a bit further down from you so is it quite I, warm at the minute where you are it's, it's strange because we where, where I live is uh, a place called Dali in Yunnan province and it's okay. two and a half thousand meters above sea level so it's quite high in altitude uh, okay so it has this really big different variation in in weather, it's got its own micro uh, micro climate, and now it's usually quite sunny in the winter. Super windy, um, but it's right. quite warm in the day when the sun hits you. You know, you can almost go short short sleeve. In fact, in the winter, but at, as soon as it goes at night, it's like frosty and cold and stuff. So, yeah. but yeah, it's a pretty it, you know, so it's, it's a good place to sort of be. Uh, I guess in the winter because it doesn't rain very much. Because Yunnan Yunnan is like a Yunnan province looks like a it's, it's very long and tall and at where where we are is in the middle so if you go uh, further up north it will be the tibetan plateau and it's um, still in the yunnan province so that's about i don't know about six hours drive from me or you go down south in yunnan province you go you get to the tropics where the elephants are and then you can you know harvest bananas yeah, and stuff i always yeah, forget so that there's still elephants in china there's a few hanging out isn't there yes. Yeah. Uh, it's quite a few. I mean, I, I send them okay. every other year, you know, um, okay. and there's uh, there's a park, uh, elephant parks that uh, the elephant visit uh, over winter for the mineral in the lakes and stuff. So they would come uh, over and because they build a platform, so you're like higher than them. You're much taller than them. Um, so it's, it's deemed pretty safe, really, for the, you know, for the, for the actually over Chinese New Year in winter, families and stuff would go and see them. And it's, it's very good explosion, exposure for the, for the wildlife here. Yeah, oh, cool. I'm sorry, that's a very British way to start the podcast is ask about the weather. But yeah. so, so what? What? What I normally do is I start by asking people where they started in wildlife filmmaking. But I should already know most of it because we've been Jesus Christ, how long have we known each other? Too long. So really. long. Um, yeah, we we met like what back in college. 
2007 that was i think wow okay um, you've done your homework i haven't yeah so that's why i'm so <laughs> that's why i'm so aged and haggard now all, all the years i've known uh, i know do you know what my first uh, impression was of you like the first time i met you i don't know if you remember this i don't we want were, to know <laughs> we, we were at college and i think i was uh -huh. 16 and you're you're about three years older than me aren't you is it three years uh, i went to college when i was 18 so 18. yeah three years yeah yeah, so about, about, yeah about that and I, and I remember coming in and I could hear someone talking behind a corner and I thought, that's a really weird chav. That's a really weird sounding chav. <laughs> I couldn't work out because I because I grew up in a council estate. So I knew what chavs talk yeah. like before. This chav's not right. There's something not going on. <laughs> and I came around the corner and it was you and a couple others. And obviously you were kind of decked out in chav gear or, or <sighs> semi, semi, semi chav gear. And I was like, oh, that was not what I was expecting. But, <laughs> Oh man, I can I, I still can remember the good old days actually. We can't talk about you a know, lot of I was trying to blend into where our college were, you know, in, in Clifton and all. I was like, yeah. right, I have to wear the right clothes going to Clifton. So what should <laughs> I wear? You know, as so I just dug out the chaff gear, put it on. And I'm glad that you thought, you know, yeah, that's you know, there's a chaff going on. It doesn't yeah. sound quite right, but when you see me, you're like, Yeah, that's not the chaff you expecting. But yeah. Well, you exactly. know, I mean it, it's funny because I didn't know your name until when we actually talked and the whole time for like i think for like at least a week uh, i thought your name is captain because um <laughs> sue, our tutor a great sue um and she she just decided to call you captain yeah on the register in the very first day and i was like that's guess that's just a really weird nameless dude but anyway nevertheless captain i mean who, who am i to judge people's name being the poon you know, yeah. so I was just like, yeah, I was just like, okay, Captain, right, great. And uh, yeah, it's not until much later. And I was like, yeah, his name's actually Jack, you know. Um, and yeah, that was that was actually quite strange. But yeah, that that went quickly. I tell you, I'm 2007 and now we're like, you know, in the in, in way into the 2000s, 2021 now. So yeah, so what, we all progressed a lot. A little bit. Yeah. So when what when was it that you decided wildlife because i remember you having a slight interest in wildlife at college was it before then or was it when you were at college you were just sort of like i oh. want to do wildlife or has it always been that you want to work with wildlife i mean i want to tell you like everyone else that every i mean i, I haven't really heard any other variation besides oh i really love david attenborough and i really yeah, you know yeah, i've watched yeah. it all the time and i was a it's been my dream since you know when whenever i knew when i was young that i wanted to be a cameraman or on production or whatever but that's that's never my thing i mean you probably know i mean i didn't even look like a wildlife person back then right <laughs> so you don't know really i mean it's still it's still hard to believe <laughs> hey to be i still camo Everyone, oh yeah that's true you've got some pieces of me with <laughs> okay. camo. it doesn't matter where i go even go to going to you know important meeting and stuff but okay. then again i mean that's probably look more professional in our field having wearing camo but yeah back then it was um you know it, it, i mean i didn't know what i want to do but i knew i want to do photography and that's why i jumped onto court but it's a very last minute thing i sort of just you know wanted uh, know knowing what i want to do after the summer of being away then I was like, right, let's do this. You know, look, looked into it. Our college was the closest to my home. And not I'm not really given a think of it very much at all. And anyway, then after the two years when Sue was asking and Steve were asking, oh, you know, which uni you want to go to and stuff, I was like, I don't want to go uni. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> do I look like a uni person to you? But, you know, the more they talk about it and, you know, sort of, they and, and 
I honestly have no idea. And everyone, including Sue and Steve, they were like, you know, you should do product photography because I, I thought I was pretty good at it. And also, Is that right? The, they wanted you to do that? Well, they, I mean, that's that's actually, let's be honest, like doing what we do, there's there are things that we can make money from. There are things that we can't really make money from. Yeah. And I'm sure back in the days, wildlife is one of those that we can't make money from. So, you know, and they, they, they see that I can do product photography quite well and also do with Photoshop and all that followings so they were like oh you know you should do this and but then i i then thought i'm gonna consider university i should at least do something that i'm good at but not only that but something that i like yeah i know i like photography and then so i went back to all the coursework in the two years and i looked at it and every single one if it's not a specific subject that they asked us to do it's all to do with nature so i was like right that nails the you know nails the lid on a coffin then so so that's that's how you know we sort of well, that's how I decided to do it. Uh, but it's not until, you know, sort of a couple of years down the line when, you know, when when our university have this massive change that I kind of thought, you know, I've got to have to make something out of this. You know, you can't just be, I mean, I, as much as I love photography, I want to, you know, sort of make a living out of it. Um, so it's not like, you know, the fancy story of everyone no, I know. to do it from the very beginning. You know, it's more like I just progress. But, you know, even now, the thrilling of filmmaking, you know, I mean, I haven't done photography in a long time. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, it's always been filming for production, filming for myself. Or, you know, if I go out and do some stuff, I'll just be filming. You know, photography tend to sort of drift off from me. And I kind of enjoy the sort of both creative and putting a film together, you know, filming sequences and, you know, also the technical specification of it, you know, being able to do everything manually and being successful and capturing the shot so yeah i moved i guess i moved on and not moved on if you know what i mean like i'm still yeah. in the wildlife <clears throat> still doing media but then i, I really sort of pursued a path it, of filmmaking it's an easy well i say easy transition but it's a logical transition i guess because i think a lot of people thought they could make a living solely from stills and me josh yeah. sam a few people and it's just it, it's not impossible, but it's incredibly difficult, incredibly difficult to make a full-time living from wildlife photography. But wildlife filmmaking, there's a lot more options and a lot more things that you yep. can do. So I think that that makes sense. Would you say that mm-hmm. your... Well, what was your big break? I mean, I would probably say, would it be the Cloud Forest oh. film? No. No? Uh, you wouldn't my say big that? Break. I mean, you probably... I don't think we have ever even talked about this, huh? Oh, maybe we haven't. Enlighten me. What was your big break? Yeah. So it's a long story, but I'm going to shorten it because it's some, one hour. You did, you did some things you weren't proud of with a few producers. Oh, I mean that—that's standard. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> We're in the media for the cover. <laughs> Jack, Jackie's <laughs> top tip: give producers blowjobs, yeah, and they'll yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and they'll let you in. Them and the following. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, um, go on. Well, then. yeah, really, my big break was okay. Cloud Forest project is something to set up the break. Okay. The reason of it isn't because of, you know, what the where the film went, even though it was well received and got a few places, but that wasn't the reason. The reason was actually first year. I can't remember if you were on the trip with us, but I remember having uh Sorry, Jackie, Jane my my, uh, my wife's knocked on the door. I think she's got me a bacon sandwich. Which, is, which which takes precedence over your uh, interview. You can come in, darling. There we go. I'm, I'm just I'm just uh, on to Jackie. Say hello, Anne. On to Jackie. Yeah, yeah, man. How are you? <laughs> all, right, yeah. all right. Thanks, okay, Sam. Thank sorry. Yeah. Right, sorry. Sorry, Jackie. A bacon sandwich was more important. Uh, carry okay. on. I, yeah, I, I was I about to put something in your mouth and just make sure it shuts for the next five minutes while Oof. I'm talking. So don't don't now, flirt now with me. Don't flirt <laughs> with me. Oh, no, no, no. Now have the bacon sandwich in your mouth. 
Okay, so long story short, did the uh, did the project, but then before that, I can't remember if you were on a trip with us, but me and James Water, and I think it's Josh Jaggard, we we heard we overheard that there's like a there's a filmmaking masterclass with uh, Mark Fletcher, and that's in the in the middle of summer. So we decided to you know get together and drive back uh, and go and do this course with him, and that was like at a weekend course, but it, it meant to be for I think it's um, zoology student or biology student. I can't remember. It wasn't for us. God knows why it wasn't for us, but but I was like okay let's let's go and do it. So we went and did it, and after the after the course, I kept in touch with Mark. So after Cloud Forest Project, I send the film to Mark. I mean, bless him, because it was it was an hour of student film. I mean, watching 20 minutes, 20 minutes of student film, that's a lot already. But he actually spent an hour <laughs> watching it. I know, it's crazy. Um, so he spent an hour watching it um, and gave me feedbacks. And since then, you know, we have been keeping in touch. And the real, you know, I mean, the, the, the first break was the... Um, we got together. I moved to China, and then I, you know, I started doing work here. And then we did. I, I made the film called Missionary Monkey of Shangri-La. But when we were first starting, we just knew, you know, just to film the monkeys. You know, there wasn't a defined story. Um, I didn't really know what I'm doing. Let's be honest. And we kind of just, you know, fresh out of college, basically. And then I pinged him an email because I'm really trying to find a way to get this film out there and at least get some instruction and craft a even a blurry path. You know, something that we can sort of grab hold of instead of going into mountain and keep filming these monkeys for seriously no reason, but just shots, you know? Yeah. Um, so I pinged him an email and I remember this really clearly, right? So whoever's listening to this, do your research. I mean, I don't think anyone was going to do less research than me on Mark because <laughs> after knowing him for three years, I still didn't know he's a well-known editor producer. And I sent an email to Mark saying, how are you doing, Mark? Do you know any good editor? <laughs> so I sent him that email and Mark was like oh right you know he just wrote me back it's like oh it depends you know what you got uh I can see you know if you show me some stuff and I can um you know I can maybe help you out with this and try to find you a decent editor I was like great so I put a, sh a short like five minute show reel there's no story in it no nothing and just pretty shots send it to him got an email back the same day and it's like I am an editor you know let's work <laughs> and that was you know that was the first thing first like you know tv credit i've got so we put together the film to get um in in a year time um you know he 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 he's never he never came out onto location but he's given me guidance you know edit editorial lessons and you know understanding of how filmmaking work and all that stuff so all the basic came from him um and since then we have also made another film uh called panda bean uh i didn't even know my my own film's name uh <laughs> born to be wild so it's actually broadcast in a few different countries so their names is different um according to the broadcaster what they want to call it but born to be wild uh, and then all panda goes wild and you know so since then i mean it's you know we have since um we make the uh, monkey film um it's been three years and then we make a panda film it's been two years so i actively want to do some stuff with him because it's more you know sort of so is it a case ahead. then that's all right Sorry, I'm just swallowing the last bit of bacon. You finally um, finish your bacon I don't. It doesn't take me long. So, <laughs> so is it a case, and I've spoken to a few camera ops about this, is it not what you know, but who you know, or is it a combination? Because obviously... It's a combination. Knowing, knowing Mark opened those doors, but then yeah. presumably you still have to have the skills to deliver. Yeah, I mean, I even... I, I think it, what it is, is you need that opportunity. 
you know, yeah. someone giving you that shot, you know, uh, Mark was certainly one of them. Um, and, you know, we put together the film and, you know, it, it received very well, in fact. Um, so, so I mean, that's that was the first thing. But then the main thing was that Disney uh, came along to China and wanted to make a film born in China. And I was called a, a friend of mine. So we made a few friends on the way and they're all in media, but none of them are in wildlife um, and in China. And after after the monkey film, I kind of sort of just left in this like gap. I didn't know what to do. In, in China, there is no such thing as wildlife filmmaking industry. So what should I do next? You know, but before I even start looking, my friend uh, met, uh, called me and it's like, oh, do you want to jump onto this Disney gig? Now, I've heard about it, but um, so they offered me, they, they were saying, you know, if you want to jump into the gig, I'll get the producer to call you. And producer called me and I knew from the very beginning that all they wanted, excuse me, is a fixer. So someone to deal with logistics, deal with money and things like this. So I was like, um, I considered and I, was, I wasn't going to do it because that wasn't that's not what, what you I wanted, wanted to do. do. Yeah. Yes. And that's the first lesson I've learned. Even it wasn't what you want to do. You have, that's a foot in the industry for sure. I mean, that's far away from what I want to do. I mean, from like dealing with camera and technical and creative to something like dealing with money. And I mean, that's, it's completely different. But anyway, also because I'm lacking any job of any kind. So I was like, right, let's, you know, let's give this a go. And I made it pretty clear to them that I'm a camera person. And then they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just deal with the money and <laughs> I was like great you know um but from then on that was that was the really big break that I have um and uh you know after jumping on it uh, I had opportunity to have this crazy opportunity where um the cameraman and the director of the first shoot that we are going to do their their visa were delayed for a couple of weeks and the behavior that we're going to film is not going to happen after that um so they were like oh you know they were going to pull the shoot out completely. Um, but then I have a friend that was also in it. You would know, uh, Ollie, Ollie Scully. Um, and I know, I know we, Ollie through yeah, you, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we, you know, we did a recce together and we become pretty good friends together after that. And he recommended me to, to production. And we're just like, oh, you know, Jackie can do this and come to me. I was like, yeah, I'm up for it. You know, I mean, back then, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not even ashamed of this, but I know very, very little about filmmaking. And <laughs> and they were like, yeah, very little. I mean, as much as I can, I know yeah, a lot more yeah, yeah, yeah. craft skills in the wild because of the last film, because I was in the wild all the time. But in terms of camera techniques and the numbers and how to control it, I wasn't very good at that. So they were asking, you know, oh, can Jackie do this? And And my film, my monkey film wasn't broadcast. So they have nothing to reference on. Um, but then... Because it's Disney, they have a penny there and here. So they're like, right, why don't we just let Jackie have a try at this? So I decided I was able and capable of taking 30 rangers, uh, 650 kilograms of equipment and climb up a mountain with all those guys just by myself, dealing with everything, organized everything. There's no water or electricity in the location set the camp and did everything and then after that i was just in and out with the rangers traveling and trying to film these animals for for a couple of weeks until until the producer and director and cameraman arrives to take over um and i was filming on tape so i can't delete anything right. so they, they watch everything that i filmed right and i can't delete anything uh and each table was 100 quid and they give me about 15 minutes of uh, shoot time yeah they, they delivered they gave, they gave me like 10 tapes and so so i did that um and i guess they weren't 
I guess they, I wouldn't say they're impressed, but they were like, you know, they, they weren't feeling terrible about the idea of sending me out and they okay. didn't feel like a waste of money. So by the end of that shoot, we meant to move straight on to another shoot. They said to me, Jackie, do you want to keep hold of the camera and keep filming? And that was where that big break was. And since then, you know, so complete that, chance. Complete really? chance. If that yeah. plane hadn't been delayed, you'd still be counting money for him. Maybe. I would probably <laughs> found ways to, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You know, you're quite proactive. One thing. <clears throat> I also think that they realised my money counting skill was probably the worst Chinese in the world. <laughs> and I was not very good at, you know, I was just like, yeah, spend the money, just eat what you want, drivers. And drivers like going on like a steak every day. Stuff, you know? <laughs> so they come back with like, uh, there's not much money left. And I was like, yeah, I've got all the receipts. And they looked at the receipt, they're like, right, let's move him to our different department. <laughs> um, so that that probably contribute to my um, sort of, you know, one way or another, very lucky break to move yeah. up from that. But um, but I think I I would imagine if it give me another five years and then I have that break, I wouldn't be as bold. Like, you know, right. I think now looking back, taking all those people, all those equipment, organizing everything and being the camera person as well and did it all by myself. That was quite crazy. Like yeah. a lot of things can go wrong. And now thinking about it, thinking back, I wouldn't have taken the risk if I put myself in the same shoe, you know, because there's too so much thing to, that can go wrong. And we know this industry well enough to understand that if we put our foot into the wrong pond, you know, we could, we might could well be drowned. Yeah. So, you know, in a way, um, I guess I, I was lucky because I was young and I was bold. Yeah. And you mentioned that the filmmaking industry was more or less non-existent in, uh, in China then. So what's, what's it like now? Cause I guess it's still relatively new. Like, is it, is it kind of growing? Is it still fairly small? Cause I remember at one point you said, I think it was more wildlife photography, but there was like three wildlife photographers in the whole of China, which is fucking oh, yeah. bonkers. So, so, but I know. I mean, photography have grown since massively. Um, the thing that actually changed the whole industry since there was an industry, so you can't really call it change. The creator, the whole industry was born in China, surprisingly. So in 2016, when the film came out, it went from, you know, once a week, like one showing a week or two showing a week in the, at, on Wednesday daytime like literally there's no screening whatsoever and then just blew up in social media and went from that to every day every evening you know and and kids were watching it and you have received really good reviews and that's when you know so I, I guess people realize the importance of it you know spending spending time with their kids also watching watching the um the film as well and it really influenced and moved the industry as a whole natural history industry not just filmmaking not just photography but also you know um education you know the the, the education now with you know on natural history there's a massive step forward and beside that also protections you know and and um chinese government now are more much more willing to spend money in protecting environment protecting animals than before like for sure you know i don't really know if that's um one of the reason um you know what uh, one of the influences from born in china but everything else i've seen is definitely a huge step up yeah. you know so that from that the industry was created but slowly photography was getting popular because you know there's more camera available and there's a lot of animals to film in china so a lot of people go into photography um, the filming industry until even until now a lot of production comes 
you know, come in here um, with a director, without director. And sometimes I just do sort of remote shoots for them. Um, you know, it's it's been a huge, um, in, a huge increase in number of productions that are looking to film in China. You know, before there was there was always like a you know a screen that people kind of don't really want to come in China because of the permits and everything is just more complicated. But I guess, you know, it's easier now and at the same time, you're running out of shit to film. So, <laughs> so we always like, right, let's do China. Let's see what we can do. And I was, yeah. you know, lucky enough to be right in the middle of, you know, of it um, when it's sort of going up and I'm growing up with the whole industry here. Yeah. You know? And you've done, uh, well, you've done a lot of iconic Chinese species, but you've done pandas for a few different shoes. Am I right in remembering mm. you dressed up in a panda onesie to film them? Or did you make that up? No. So, yeah, well, I was, you know, the whole team have to dress up in the panda onesie to film them. Um, <laughs> right. It's one of the weird and wonderful uh, rules that we have here. Um, I, I guess it's because, you know, back in the days for a very long time, they have done it and they sort of kind of feel like, keep doing it is you know is something that you know what is the real reason behind it would it really affect a panda less because you're dressing onesie however we always put on like panda poo and pee and make sure that we don't smell like people and we're certainly trying to make the appearance less likely yeah so you know there's a lot it wasn't it wasn't just for fun i mean no, no. <laughs> i like didn't think you were doing it just it. for fun but still yeah, um, no, I get that. Yeah, I mean that was that was very unique, but I, you know, it's is it's not. I, I feel like, you know, having less disturbance uh, and impact on the panda, the better. Yeah. So you know, so yeah. uh, they are, and I, you know, the the scientists that are working behind the program, they are like awesome people. Honestly, I have interviewed them many times, and they told me stories about what they've been through, you know, and they have a, they have so much understanding in the species that I feel like these rules, even though sometimes, you know, is weird and wonderful, it, it has to make sense some way and the other. And plus, you know, I'm, you know, I'm privileged enough to be able to spend time with these animals. So, you know, these small rules really means nothing but to, you know, to, to do it and to make sure that everyone's happy. Yeah. I know. I mean, there's a lot in conservation uh, talking about pandas and the fact that they're kind of a almost an evolutionally dead end so i mean are, are pandas fucked are they worth the effort you know because there's so much that goes into them but i don't know i wonder, I wonder what your your opinion on was uh, on it was uh okay so i mean this is this is something that i've been battling with yeah for the past you know five years um where do i start so <laughs> my my opinion is that panda is a very misunderstood species especially in the west where very well-known conservationists have made bold claims that does not match reality. And that's why everyone in the West thinks the panda is an evolutionary dead end. I mean, what makes it evolutionary dead end? I mean, that's, uh, that's my question. Does it from mean what that I, From what I understand, isn't it that they are a carnivore, but they're eating bamboo and their bodies mm -hmm. uh, struggle with that? Is that right or not? No. So the, okay. the reason they're eating bamboo is because it's abundant. So it's a way for them to survive much better. And also their color bend, blend into the bamboo forest very well because of um, the bamboo forest creates a lot of shadows when it's harsh sun. So then their black and white really blend into it. So if, it, if a panda standing in front of you five meters away in the dense bamboo forest, you will not see it. 
So that, that was one of the reasons why they were starting to, I mean, they're still opportunistic animals. They will still go for meat if, they, if, they, if there's an opportunity. They're certainly not going to go and try to get the meat, but if there's a dead, if, you know, if there's a carcass of a attacking or... Uh, yeah, they will scavenge. Yeah. They yeah. will definitely go for that. Um, and that's one, that's one reason. But the other is that w- our misunderstanding is heavily towards the fact that they don't breed. Right. right. So, so revolution is their end because they don't breed and, you know, they're just being cute and cuddly, uh, you know, and almost political sized. But the, the true fact is that they do breed. They don't breed in captivity. I mean, that's one of the reason why people and certain conservationists, very well known conservation saying that they should just just, you know, that we shouldn't really help them and the efforts is meaning nothing. They should put it more into other species. But in fact, I spent the last three years uh, working with pandas in the wild. So we went to this really hostile place. The terrain is extremely difficult, but I want to sort of make this film and prove to the world that pandas actually make. So every, um, between February and March, there's like a, um, we, you know, we call it like the sort of the panda dance. So there's a, in the mountain, there'll be pandas fighting for their mating rights, literally taking ah, cool. the shit out of each other. <laughs> and trying to mate with a female i mean it's it's really insane when you're there because the terrain's very difficult it's bamboo everywhere you have to just go through this bamboo but to the point where the way we track pandas was from sound so you hear them from miles away in the middle of mountain and they will be shouting and screaming and fighting what's a panda sound like sound like they sound like dogs in fact and sheep oh. call Oh, do they? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I like the very first time when I got the mountain, I heard the sound. I was like, "This dog's here." And they're like, "No, no, no, that's panda call." You know. So we spent three years to trying to, you know, create a story, and you know, to tell the world the truth about pandas in the facts that our understanding of them is very little to the fact that one of the reasons why in the very beginning the breeding program not is not very successful is because you. Um, we couldn't keep the baby alive for more than a day or two. And we didn't know why. Like, why after 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 the panda mum gave birth, we couldn't keep them alive? It's not until much later, 20 years later, that we realised that they, they the baby needs to be stimulated every five hours for it to pee and poo. And if they're not stimulated, they will just die. Right. Right. So there's so many signs behind it where we still don't understand. Yeah. And for yeah. some conservationists to come out and say to the world, that they are not a species to need to be protected and they need to, you know, so just die off. Yeah. And that's just very irresponsible in my opinion. And yeah. not, not only, not only because of, not only for that as well, if you think about the panda being one of the species that are heavily, there's most protected in China. What does that mean? That means it protects the whole area of bamboo forest and the millions of species in there. Yeah, you know the, the bamboo forests I worked in, they are pristine, you know, they have not been touched, you know, and that that key- alone is already gold. Yeah, keystone species, isn't it? Indeed. Yeah. So yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. you know, I think they I you know, I hope that one day we can sort of clear that out, you know. Yeah. But I mean, to a point, I think, you know, as the world leading conservationist, um as a country of the world leading conservationist, we are often very ignorant about what we want to hear and what we heard. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Like yeah. sometimes yeah, we yeah, just yeah. block out stuff that we think we know the best. But in fact, I tell you what, from pandas, it's not like that. Yeah. You know, spending time in the field with captive pandas, 
you know, with with wild pandas, you know, and all the times of knowing these amazing scientists doing their works in the back and seriously understanding the species for what they are and who they are and the hardship that they go through um, in order to mate. I mean, it's difficult, but that's, you know, I mean, there's a lot of animals are having really tough time to breed. And this is one of the animals, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. To, I mean, I, I didn't know a lot of that, so I've I've definitely learned something yeah. from that. Um, the other animal that you've you've worked a lot with is is snub-nosed monkeys, isn't it? So, are they are they a favourite for you to work with? Do you like working with snub-nosed monkeys? I yeah, I think I think primate is my favourite. Yeah, is I'm, it? I'm almost known as a bit of a monkey man in China. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, film, <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe because I'm I film a lot of monkeys. Maybe because I look a bit like a monkey, <laughs> but you know. I mean that everyone can make a call on that, um, but I think you know, for for me, the primate is is something quite special for me because the expression, and a lot of the times, I mean, filming is one thing, but you know, when the days aren't so good, when the lights aren't so good, I spend a lot of time just watching them. I don't have to film them all the time, but watching them when the light's not so good, you get to learn individuals and their behavior and their uniqueness of what they do, uh, in order to, you know, in order to socialize or survive. You know, for example, when we film, you know, the, the, the monkey sort of doing backflips for Born in China, we knew which one liked to do backflip the most. So they've got a personality almost then? Yes, mate. I mean, yeah. all, I think all animal, all individual have their personality, even though some of them are not very obvious. You know, a lot of the animals that we see uh, aren't very obvious, the one that we film, but then a lot of animals that we understand the most or the most like us, for example, monkeys or dogs and cats, you can see that personality straight away. You know, and for monkeys, it, that, I think that's what amaze, amazes me that for the until now, six years running every other season, I'll be here filming Golden Summer's Monkeys and I've never got bored of it and they have always shown me new stuff to film and that... You know, I just I just loved it. I don't know when I'll ever get bored of it, but yeah, it's my thing. So chances are if you see snub-nosed monkeys on a, a blue chip series, it's probably you that's filmed it or you've had a hand in it. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's probably fair to say. At least for the UK audience anyway. Yeah. So I think perfect planet. Audience, like, you just done yeah, perfect, perfect planet, planet, haven't you? Well, yeah, I saw that. It was all right. You did okay. Thanks, man. Really appreciate your uh, your words. Yeah, good. But, you know, I mean, I mean, that's the thing. Like, we've we've been filming Golden Summer's Monkeys way before Seven Worlds uh, and Perfect Planet, um, but it's mainly exposed to the US audience. You know, National Geographic loved it, um, Discovery loved it, um, but I guess for the BBC, it's not. They didn't really go big until, you know, until until Seven Worlds really. They where they, where they were heavily um, starred in the in the in the whole show. And before that, you know, I've done I've done other species of snub-nosed monkeys, these black snub-nosed monkeys that, you know, five hours away from me, which in China just means outside your house, that distance. <laughs> um, and they, you know, they were he- they, they were featured in um, the BBC Mountains and also Earth from Space. But because they're not super big blue chip, people don't really see them that, you know, they don't get as much exposure as something like Seven Worlds and Landmarks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say I would say I'm the one that probably filmed them the most. Yeah, weren't they grooming sure. you? Did you say they were grooming uh, they, you at one point? Yeah, I mean they they're super friendly and they're habituated for a long time. You know, the rangers spend a lot of times with them and and through the hard work, the monkeys not are not very afraid of people. And you know, sometimes because I spent I I really 
if you if you imagine a time where you know you film and then a lot of people would have a rest and stuff but i usually just film and then i'll sit there and watch them and the babies are very curious and sometimes they would just jump on top of me you know and just, just like check me and see what, what i'm like and you know it's, it's, it's an experience you know and they're okay. super gentle they're not like you know other species for example macaques that they are they can be very aggressive and they just want food out of your pocket but these guys just want to check you out you know have a look at what you like and you know jump on your equipment and yeah it's it's, it's an amazing experience i bet i bet so you've worked extensively in china but is there anywhere else or any species that you've not worked on that you'd like to work on well i mean where the list starts <laughs> everything um, i have to be honest um the plan for me was to um you know um film more outside china from last year in fact i have got a lot of uh, production that asked me to film you know i've, I've actually done a uh, a shoot in uh, morocco um for quibi um this is this is for the bbc productions as well and since then uh, you know i was offered to go to namibia um and various different places in nepal um but because of the pandemic those are all cancelled and now china is the place that in a way is the safest and we can still travel um and we're still able to film you know with minimum restrictions um so you know so i i consider myself as like really blessed again you yeah. know that i was able to still make a living and you know still be able to film and do what i love um in in this sort of you know extraordinary times i mean pandemic aside does it get frustrating then to get pigeonholed with china because i guess everyone thinks right we want to do a film in china jackie poon or do you not mind that are you quite happy to you know uh well, I mean, for the people that have ever worked with me and for the people that sort of spoken to me and we, you know, we were sort of involved together on the shoe and whatnot, they all, most people know that I want to sort of branch out. Um, and, you know, and everyone's been super nice. They've been trying to give me opportunities. You know, they've been talking to me about opportunities outside China. And then again, you know, because of the pandemic, that will have to put to a halt. Um, but yes, I did. There's, there's one point in my life um, a couple of years ago where I feel like, you know, I'm really pigeonholed in China. Um, but then again, you know, I honestly, I still feel that I'm really blessed with it, you know. And every time when I go on a shoot, that feeling goes away. Like, because, yeah. you you know, you're spending time with the animal, you're able to film it. And I guess I get better and better every year. You know, you look at things differently every year. You can feel that you're grown every year. And when you're looking back at your stuff, you just think, oh, what's that rubbish, you know, <laughs> the stuff you filmed a couple of years ago. In fact, you know, things like, perfect planets you know that that was filmed years ago you know so um and looking at myself now you know knowing myself that have grown and learned from you know from being on location and working with different productions and amazing producers and directors you know that i think i guess you know feeling feeling cocooned is one thing but that's nothing as important as being able to actually do what you love um and not to mention you know it's, it's hard time for everyone right now um and but for someone like me myself as a local cameraman you know and people are able to set up remote shoots um you know i think all of us as you know as local cameramen we're very lucky to be able yeah. to have this opportunity i'm especially lucky because i, I mean china's huge you yeah know, i've heard and, that i've heard it's big <laughs> <laughs> yeah compared to the uk it's a much bigger island <laughs> um, yeah and you know I, I mean they don't really in a way a lot of people trust me because of 
again, you know, connection and knowing other producers, especially when you set in a remote shoot, you have to really trust that person. Um, and, you know, and I've been fortunate enough to have that trust um, from various productions in the UK and they really, you know, set it up for me and I hope I haven't disappointed them. And there are more, there are more films that's coming out that I've involved in. Um, but yeah, I mean, go, I guess going out of China is, is one thing that would eventually happen. I, I, you know, I kind of feel that I'm able to take on that task. Um, maybe not better than everyone else, but as good as everyone else, at least. Um, but right now, you know, being in China is, is safe and, you know, it's efficient the, to the point where like this year, I'm, I don't even, I, I can't even take up any more work this year. This year is completely booked up. Yeah. Um, you know, going ahead or not, I mean, this, I think everyone is in the same shoot, going ahead on the shoot or not, that's, that's the question to be discussed uh, at the time because of COVID. But then again, you know, just to have this, you know, looking at the schedule and just feeling, looking back and how lucky I am. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you in terms of, because I get, you know, you, you know, I like fish and I get pigeonholed a little bit with, with the fish stuff. But once really? I'm on the shoot, yeah, a little bit sometimes. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, once you're on the shoot and you're in the water or whether you're in the trees and monkeys or whatever you're doing, you don't give a shit and you're loving it and you're enjoying yeah, it. Yeah. So I can't, I can't grumble about that. Uh, well, before we go, I'm going to ask one more question, which is, have you ever had a, a big disaster on a shoot? Have you had anything go wrong and you're like, oh shit, and if you have, how did you overcome it? You probably don't want to admit it if you have had something. Oh no, wrong. no, I'm very open to, you know, I, I've, I've spoken to a few young cameramen that they've messaged me and I just tell them, I mean, I have nothing to be ashamed of. If you look on my Facebook. Well, you do have a lot to be ashamed of, but, I, but I'm but i not going to put yeah. that on, out on here, but that's nothing to do with yeah. filmmaking. If you expose me, I expose you. Bro. Yeah, all right then, okay, we'll call it. <laughs> oh, there you go. We'll call it quits <laughs> then. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I mean, I you know, I think everything from from what you've done right, which we all sort of cling on to and what we're proud of, but we often overlooked of what you've done wrong. You know, yeah. and it feels to me that that's that's the learning curve of what you what you can learn and stuff. And especially now, you know, my role is often to be the cameraman and the field director because there's no production can't be can't send anyone out from the UK. So then I have to learn not only you know the camera skill um but also a lot towards story building and also editorial skill because you have to know how to edit to film so um well i mean there are many shoots that's gone wrong <laughs> i'm not gonna lie um you know there are shoots that the animal didn't show up i mean born in china is a very typical example of i spend you know 28 days in a high try to film wild pandas and you know we have not filmed a single shot of pandas yeah and have so the pressure must second. be massive oh my god it's huge you know it was a remote shoot and uh, having a remote shoot um the biggest problem is that direct and producer are not in the field to to see the reason of you failing and all they see is the empty hard drives you know and that's that's a big hit on you um but i mean empty hard drives sometimes it's better than you know shitty shot hard drives yeah <laughs> i can tell you that so um but you know i mean the thing is we were so close i mean that's that's one of the reasons why i was focused on filming pandas and what make a panda film back then um is that we were as close as getting to spots where we see fresh drop droppings that are still smoky you know there's still steam coming out of those droppings so that panda can't be far away but we just can't see them 
we can't film them, we can't see them. And that was a huge blow, you know. I mean, for, for me personally, I after that, I was like, right, I have to make a film or I have to do this again. I have to be successful at it. And that's that's what progressed to the Panda thing. But then, you know, there are other shoots like, um, you know, we worked on Born in China on the, on the Snow Leopard team as well. And that was difficult, you know, it was it was so remote that um, and also altitude so high that, you know, you feel you feel like shit every day, basically, not for for like two weeks. And then after that, you're basically almost heading home. <laughs> yeah. So majority of the time you're there, you feel like shit. And then you can't find the animal because they're so elusive. You know, and for the rare time you find find animals, there's something must have gone wrong that you can't film them or whatever reason it is. You know, so the snow leopard shoot was also a big struggle as well. Um, and also, dear the cameraman I worked with, he got really sick and had to be evacuated. Uh, yeah, and you can't. I mean, where we were is in the middle of nowhere. Like you can't get to somewhere that have a telephone for the next 12 hours drive you know and it's all you know off-road terrain you're just basically driving the mountains with a compass so it's pretty it's pretty insane and that you know that was one of the one of the shoot i mean yeah i mean i can go for days on the, the things that we haven't done right but we have learned from it a lot you know um both productions and the producer director we work to and you know and applying those skills to the new shoots i mean that's i think that's the most important thing I think that's um, that's right. Definitely, is that you you make these mistakes, but you learn from them and you adapt from them, and, and hopefully you don't make them make them again. So your failures are almost as important as your successes, really, aren't they? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I mean, I think I'm I'm lucky to a point. I'm like super technical. Like I just love tech and I love cinema, you know. And a lot of times I'm trying to sort of you know apply. Um, the cinema techniques and skills to wildlife filmmaking. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. You know, I mean, it's all try and error. But to be able to do that, to have freedom of doing that, you know, I, I, I have vintage lenses that I want to make certain shots and certain scenes to look certain ways. You know, I have that opportunity um, to do that. But, you know, I'm confident in, in terms of my, my tech skills them able to sort of understand it and push it over the boundary and try to convince producer and director to use something like a set of cook primes it's very difficult because it's very expensive for them to hire you know but having that uh, freedom of creative because a lot of times we don't get to say um how the edit would go you know in the edit is is all the director producer and the editor's job where we just film the story that they want us to film um but to be able to control almost a hundred percent of that you know, I feel that that's what makes me feel amazing about really. Yeah, yeah it's nice to kind of have you say on the whole process, isn't it? From yeah. from shot to, to edit suite. Uh, well, look, buddy, it's, it's been a pleasure catching up with you because it's been too long and we'll have to catch up sooner than this next time. But take mm-hmm. care and hopefully we'll we'll see each other. I was going to say soon, but it ain't going to be soon. But at some point um, we will we'll be able to hold in a lovely embrace and just just put our heads next to each other nice wouldn't it yeah i think last time when we see each other we didn't even give each other a hug no you you, you, saw each other in the middle in the beginning of the pandemic yeah you have to sit on my driveway wall and i had to stand in the door oh shit i remember that yeah i've got two two meter stick and if you came any closer i'd smack you in the face of it to keep you away (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean that sounds about right captain yeah that's it well look buddy take care and i'll uh i'll see you soon thanks for coming on yeah man Cheers, Captain. Talk to you soon. That was Jackie Poon. I bloody love him. Absolute legend. 
it's great to see how his career is has really skyrocketed. You know, I remember at university that he would work really, really hard, but he'd party hard too. He always called him party poon because he he was a he was a crazy crazy bugger. But uh, he's doing really, really good, which is fantastic to to see that. You know, he got a I think he got a first actually. Not that, that means anything. You know, first doesn't mean much in today's day and age for photography and filmmaking but he worked hard and, he, and it's obviously paid off really really well for him so great to catch up with him next week i've got hannah o'regan who is the associate professor in archaeology at the university of nottingham and what she specializes in is studying beers in britain we talk about when they were living here when they died out potentially died out and if they might ever be able to reintroduce them so it's going to be a really interesting podcast chatting about that because i know nothing about british beers This has been the Bearded Tits Podcast. I've been your host, Jack Perks, and I will see you next time. Cheers.